0: Welcome to Insight Exchange presented by L.E.K. Consulting, a global strategy consultancy that helps business leaders seize competitive advantage and amplify growth. Insight Exchange is our forum dedicated to the free, open and unbiased exchange of the insights and ideas that are driving business into the future. We exchange insights with the brightest minds of the day the most daring innovators, and the doers who are right now rebuilding the world around us. The COVID-19 pandemic has ushered in a series of fundamental challenges to the U.S. economy. Like the great financial crisis of 2007 to 2008, it has reshaped the landscape of consumer lending, but in a very different way. During the COVID-19 pandemic, individuals have curtailed their spending amid layoffs while the federal government has injected billions of dollars back into the economy in the form of stimulus checks. E-commerce was a key beneficiary, and it looks like newly established purchase pathways are here to stay. In this episode, we discuss COVID-19 recovery opportunities in consumer lending with our panel of expert consultants. We hear from Robert Hazelhurst, managing director with a focus within LEK's retail and consumer products practices. Also, Peter Ward, an LEK partner focused on corporate strategy development who has worked on a diverse set of consulting projects across the technology, financial service, and consumer product industries. So to get started, considering government activity, access to credit, and the economy, what has been the impact of COVID-19 on consumer lending activity?
1: Let's start with the impact of COVID-19 on the economy and on consumer spending um, and the money in people's pockets, and then you can kind of flow that back through how the impact is on, on lending. I'm Rob Hazelhurst, I lead LEK's Boston office uh, and do a lot of our work in the consumer sector with a particular focus on financial services and how, to, how financial services providers meet consumer needs here in the U.S. I'll actually start with the U.S. government and, and what they've been doing here to to ensure that the, the U.S. consumer still has money to spend and still, still has the ability to meet their loan obligations. Um, in the face of COVID-19, there were a number of actions that that I think we will recall, uh, where through through 2020, different um, government stimulus actions were put into place to put money into the pockets of consumers, uh, to give them uh, some some breathing room, as you think about uh, rental payments or think about um, loan repayments, and uh, ensuring that there was uh, reduced um, forbearance on mortgages um, and, and, and student loans. And those fiscal relief provisions, you know, including enhanced unemployment, including um, direct stimulus, including um, sort of forgiven student loan debt uh, and forgiven or exclusion of forgiven student loan debt from taxation, really ensured that throughout the pandemic so far, and particularly 2020 through early 2021, um, delinquency rates on, on loans were, uh, were low um, relative to historical levels and relative to prior uh, economic disruption that we've seen in, in, in other recessions. Um, really, a very different story as it as it related to uh, the consumer lending environment. Um, what that meant, though, was that the the actual lending for unsecured loans um, went down as well. That the although the access for credit was was often there, uh, the the need and and the, the the driver for for what drives a lot of loans historically had uh, it was was reduced. Um, now, as we've seen 2021, um, you've seen, you know, the consumer really return to spending, um, to some extent services, but, but particularly goods. Um, access to credit cards, personal loans, you know, started to rebound um, as expected to continue. Um, you've seen macroeconomic factors uh, sort of improve. You've seen uh, sort of different waves of COVID certainly, but consumers having more confidence as to how they, um, you know, how they. What spend their time, how they spend their money, uh, and in, in in any of in any uh, wave like that, particularly where consumers have been used to having a backstop or, or maybe been less disciplined through the um, through the the last year and a half, you're also seeing some consumers at least kind of overextend, um, and and those government programs going away, and so you know, we, we do expect that the consumer lending and the the need for credit, uh, you know, is and will continue to to rebound as you. As you think about uh, that, that stimulus coming off, and so so balances will will go back up. So, COVID waves notwithstanding, economic conditions have have largely stabilised um, in 2021, and the outlook for the positive going forward is is relatively positive, um, and that has prompted uh, a good backdrop and a good conditions. However, there's still a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uh, a lot of unknown. Unemployment remains relatively high. A lot of people haven't re-entered the job market, um, and so you know, lenders have continue to implement restrictions on lending or to be more thoughtful around who they, who they lend to. Um, at the same time, a lot of the, the changes that have happened over the last um, 18 months, and particularly the, the forbearance programs that have happened and, and the implications on how consumers think about their lens have, have changed, the, changed the landscape, have made it much harder to interpret credit scoring, have made it much harder to interpret the way that consumers have behaved recently as a, for, as a predictor of go-forward behavior. And so there's there's understandably some reticence to rely on that data and therefore question marks as you think about credit scoring, as you think about how to how to underwrite, and as you think about how to potentially collect on defaulted loans on a go forward basis, given how consumers have behaved. Now we do expect that you know as as vaccines continue to be administered, as businesses continue to reopen, notwithstanding um the, the, the current environment, we, we do think that the consumer's ability to manage the debt going forward will, uh, you know, will will continue to increase, and that quality will will improve. But lenders are going to be cautious about stepping into that. They're going to be cautious about opening up from from the low risk consumers that they're going to start um, lending to or have started lending to, where there is a very clear long term history on the on repayments, and, and extend into um, higher risk groups and, and and ones where there is there is there is more uh, risk. However, you know, lenders who you know, as, as lenders look to grow as lenders look for their own revenue they're, they're going to need to step into that slightly higher risk consumer they're going to need to reassess their lending criteria and, and ensure that their risk appetite is increased uh, to, to ensure that, that fundamentally their, their books aren't run off and, and that their incomes don't fall to unsustainable levels given their organization so we do expect that um, lender risk appetite will will largely rebound um, and and be in a position where lenders want to lend, consumers will need the money, and, and the industry will have to find ways to, to make the two meet that will look a bit different to how they did before the pandemic.
0: Thanks, Rob. Let's talk innovation for a moment. What has been the impact of COVID-19 on consumer lending
1: innovation? The consumer lending market was, was innovative before COVID-19, and and I think it's worth remembering that context. So consumer borrowing options were already on the rise when, when COVID-19 hit, but the pandemic through that really into overdrive as it did across a lot of the consumer landscape. Um, it really opened the opportunity for um, technological innovation. It, it, it sort of opened up the ability for fintech lending platforms to um, access both new small businesses and new consumers uh, and, and that need for, need for change and, and the appetite for, for interacting with businesses in different ways has absolutely increased as it has across the economy. As an example, you know, mobile apps are offering easier and faster ways to borrow money. Um, the user experience has been streamlined and really in line with what consumers are experiencing in other parts of their their lives and of their, their um, commercial life, that the consumer lending market has had to has had to meet that, has had to catch up, has had to has had to ensure that they can meet the needs of emerging demographics um, and, and consumer expectations. Many big banks and legacy learners uh, are, are looking at their fintech rivals, are, are learning from those. Um, some of the best practices that you're seeing, that the successes and the failures, are, are being observed widely by the market. And, you know, that's really causing the legacy industry to, to say, OK, what can we adapt? How do we think about what innovation works for us? What, what, what are the things we need to fast follow? Um, and so there are a range of things that um, that are really emerging as best practices and not just confined to those fintech innovators. So, starting with um, data, using data, using psychometrics around um, the consumer, using a lot lot richer um, set of of information in order to assess credit worthiness. Secondly, uh, really deploying uh, accounting integration to provide financing for for short-term needs. Uh, Tied to the data piece, harnessing artificial intelligence to really transform uh, the relationship in a scalable way to being a long-term partnership rather than just the transactional lending, being able to understand where the consumer is in their life cycle and, and you know, potentially meet their needs in different places and have that lifetime value element that, that is hard to do on a transactional basis. And then building ongoing relationships, not just through that marketing and, and AI driven piece, but but membership models. Um, thinking about how, how to, to really incent the consumer to stay with a lender and to, and to use them through different parts of their needs and life cycle.
2: I'm Peter Ward, partner of LEK, co-lead of our global financial services practice, and in particular I spend a lot of time around consumer finance, whether that's banks of uh, large or small types, specialist lenders including complex and subprime lending. So Covid's also acted as a a catalyst for lenders to adopt new technologies to stay competitive and, and actually just to respond to the initial emergency in the first place so where everyone immediately had to work at home uh, office environments were were closed and bank branches were closed there was no option but to use remote and online channels and that's that's done two things one one is to cause a, a step change of adoption uh, from those from those people who weren't really using those channels much before and the other is to accelerate adoption uh, and the progress of those institutions already already using those channels. And that those things are supported by market level statistics as well. So you can look at, for example, how much consumers use online channels and digital platforms. Uh, so 40% of, of US consumers say they, they use digital channels significantly more frequently than before. And well over half of consumers say they now do most of their financial transactions on on mobile, uh, both of which are significant advances on what was happening prior to the pandemic. And you get as, as many as two out of three consumers using digital platforms at least at least weekly. And, and that and that's rather changed the, the landscape in terms of what are the market positions of financial institutions using digital innovation. So they they become a much more natural port of call for people who are now accustomed to behaving and interacting with their banks this way. And those who were Best prepared and perhaps frustrated with rather slow rates of digital adoption should be pretty well positioned to to take advantage of of what's happened as a result of what is effectively a sort of mass forced experiment in in, in using online channels and tech. Um, So that's more driven by the emergency and downside, but of course the the fact that, that these institutions are using online and digital more, it offers positive opportunities as well. So you can study consumer journeys in, in a lot more detail and consumers can be a lot more receptive to new offers of credit, for example, that you can tailor to their needs instantly online in response to how they're behaving. Um, and it means that that all, all the type of service and smooth uh, engagement, omnichannel, all, all those types of things that people have been talking about for years, they become central to Competition um, and those those lenders that that have already been working on that have an advantage now and they're likely to win going forward. It's probably also worth mentioning specifically point of sale lending. So so this is this is where lending is offered alongside uh, a purchase at the point of sale. So traditionally in a in a physical retail store, but in the pandemic, uh, a lot more adoption in online channels. So that that um has become a lot more a lot more common just as online spending has has increased. And e-commerce merchants, they're they're great places to to do this and, and you can you can observe what consumers are doing during the purchase process and promote those those things to the consumers whilst they're doing the purchase, which is a lot smoother than it would be in a physical retail store where you know you you, you show up at the at the checkout and, and and someone's offering you a lending option the queue builds behind you uh, all that sort of stuff so it's, it's much smoother online and this is this is really really grown and the, the the retailers like it because they they can lend money alongside and increase the spend that consumers are, are making and the, the lenders themselves benefit as well so so Klarna a firm afterpay for example are Good, uh, they're, they're they're good instances of, of third party lenders who have partnerships with with retailers that are really well integrated into the into the checkout process. Uh, and the, the the pandemic has accelerated the sort of smoothing out of of that process, which which had already been going on, and it's it's just become quicker, more accessible, uh, easier easier to do. So around around the world, but specifically in the US, there's been really rapid growth in that particular fairly new product line. Peter, we
0: expect some challenges in lending due to COVID-19. So how would you categorize them? And will they be short-term
2: or long-term challenges? So there are two two sets of challenges really associated with, with COVID-19. So the, fir- the first set are conventional macroeconomic challenges that would go alongside any financial recession or, or macro problem. Um, so increased un- unemployment, for example, somewhat lower incomes, and so on, reducing repayment rates. Um, but there are there are some specific one-off behavioural changes that that we think probably have changed the way that lending will work permanently, at least at least in part. It's also true that at this stage, many consumers, given the macro environment since the end of the GFC, have never faced these types of unemployment conditions or or interest rates at anything very far above zero. So I would argue that consumers are uniquely unprepared for the situation in in macroeconomic terms versus any previous recession over, over the last 30 years. And that means that lenders also face corresponding challenges associated with that as consumer behaviours are are different for, for, the, for the reasons we talked about above. Consumers are less well-prepared for this type of situation than they, than they have been in previous recessions. And also emerging technology, data sources, uh, all, all, all those things mean that it's a slightly different environment to try and address these challenges as well. So there are some some short-term challenges, many, many of which are largely over overcome now. So for example, the operational challenge, just just the volume of forbearance requests from distressed customers, through a lot of 2020, which is now largely processed, but that but that did challenge uh, the resourcing levels, the working methods of of banks and lenders, in ways that they they have had to adapt to and now largely have adapted to. The forbearance measures themselves have also been a challenge in the sense that you wanted to go and collect. Uh, money from from people who were in arrears, but lots of lots of those forbearance measures meant that you simply were not allowed to collect in the same way that you normally would, and that, that has an impact uh, on on recovery rates, on lending. And thirdly, just because of the remote working requirement to do that, it's been pretty difficult to use what would what we regard as normal working methods. People aren't accustomed to having to do things remotely and having to invent on the fly operational plans and and methods which are well beyond what the contingency plans that the banks and lenders had in place um, had ever envisaged, so well well beyond any reasonable expectation. So so those things were big challenges and elements of that continue and and will continue if there are repeated resurgences of, of COVID. Beyond that, into into the long term, uh, so some of the some of the changes we were talking about above. Um, so, the way in which creditworthiness needs to be assessed will be quite different, I think, in in, in two respects. Sort of one is the the standard credit scoring information that people would have had isn't of that much use at the, at the moment because it's confused by. Forbearance and whether whether forbearance is actually recorded as missed payments or not, for example, how how much people have benefited from government measures to give them cash to get them get them through the pandemic, that that sort of thing. So that makes underwriting more difficult. And also, I think fundamentally, if 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 this pandemic and and potentially, hopefully not, but potentially other pandemics in due course, I mean, they, we just expect a more Volatile environment. Um, perhaps lenders just have to make allowance for the fact that there will be more volatility in repayment um, than there has been historically. So it's, it's worth noting, of course, actually delinquencies on loans, so you know, failure to repay, actually haven't been so bad during this period. And so it's certainly compared to compared to the GFC, where defaults were much much higher, um, it has been okay. But um most institutions initially responded pretty negatively in terms of their willingness to write loans and uh, you know the 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 largest retail banks so jP morgan u s bank Wells Fargo for example all all tightened their lending standards around mortgages and there's there's extremely heavy competition for the very lowest risks uh, but less willingness to lend out outside that and outside the banks uh, it, it was a substantial challenge for those, for those businesses, some of, some of whom had, had funding challenges related to higher delinquency rates, and many of those had to cease lending altogether. But now, as, as Rob was mentioning earlier on, realising they have to resume lending to keep their operational cost bases uh, covered and so on. So they will come back, but it's it will be a, a challenging environment with a, a number of simultaneous new things to, to deal with. So finally, Robert and Peter,
0: are there any particular bank types or classes of lenders that will see opportunities more so than others? And if so, what are the key strategies they can take to successfully navigate the post-COVID-19 era?
1: There are a variety of strategies that can create success going forward. Um, They differ, though, by bank type, by lending class. Um, And, you know, I think we see particularly strong opportunities as you think about um, either specialist lenders or those who have really access and, and capabilities around complex data-driven underwriting capabilities. Um, so if we kind of take each each class one by one, we'll, we'll show you what that means. As we think about big banks, uh, you know, they they really need to make sure that they um, s- sustain their position and really capture the, the now seven out of ten Americans who say that they would switch to a financial institution with more inclusive lending practices. They do have the the capabilities and the technology teams, though, to really uh, build out and use machine learning, to use big data, to use the information that they have about their their, their customers and those who approach them, to augment the credit reports that that Pete talked about earlier. Um, to to really uh, use real time income, real time cash flow data to make better decisions. And and the banks the banks can do that. They also need to accelerate their shift to online channels, uh, as we talked about before. Covid has has been a a catalyst towards that in a direction they were heading in any dire- in any case, but the consumer is really demanding um, seamless engagement throughout the process, uh, seamless underwriting, a servicing experience that is uh, in line with what they see across their, their broader consumer landscape. And large financial institutions that prioritize that, prioritize digital innovation and doing something a bit different and better for their consumers are, we believe, the ones that are going to win and be most competitive over the long term. Small banks, obviously, are going to be less well positioned to make those to write those large checks and to, to make that investment in the the behind-the-scenes experience. But there is there is a big segment of the consumer group that, that is really looking for trustworthy lenders. Um, there is that that local element is still going to appeal to to a segment of the consumer base, and as long as the the, the small bank can meet that with um, a an appropriately frictionless consumer experience, so. An intuitive digital application process, um, personal loans for for new entrants, some degree of self-serve, um, and, and sort of omni-channel experience that maybe maybe off the shelf or maybe working with third-party software as opposed to something they develop, um, but but certainly a necessity in order to um, to compete and to to sit alongside both the the large banks and the and the specialist lenders, as in terms of meeting what consumers and small businesses are looking for.
2: So as as Rob was mentioning that the opportunity at this stage of the macroeconomic cycle is 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 best for specialist lenders and subprime lenders so it may it may feel counterintuitive to say that in a in a recessionary or economically challenged situation what you want to do is to take to take more risk but actually what happens is the mainstream institutions contract their credit appetite as we as we've discussed earlier on and that means that a bunch of customers who were previously addressed by mainstream banks are now rejected by them. And, and and those quite good credit risks become available to address for the, the specialists and, and subprime lenders. So at this stage of the cycle, both specialists and, and subprime lenders first and foremost need to position themselves, market appropriately to make those consumers who are newly turned away uh, or have received significantly higher rates from mainstream institutions to make make those people aware of of their existence to take to take up op- take advantage of that opportunity, um, and particularly those who have access to good data, sophisticated underwriting skills, and so on, continue to reinvest in those strengths. So so make the use of the of the tech solutions we mentioned above, make the use of the data, uh, continue to streamline processes and so on and, and really you know, make hay while the sun shines in, 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 in this industry over, over the next few years and try and position themselves, to continue to hold those customer relationships beyond the end of uh, the, the crisis, of course, because customers never like to be turned away. so there's an opportunity to double down on these customer relationships and retain retain them beyond the end of uh, the, en- the end of the crisis. And there are some specific things to do. So, so we talked we we talked earlier on about the opportunity to offer point of sale financing. That that's a particular area which is fairly complex to underwrite uh, for for people who are not the most prime. So that's a particular product line uh, that should be positively received at this at this point. And lastly, to keep to keep investing in automation uh, rules-based so, so subprimes typically associated with sort of complex whites of the eyes underwriting where you get to know the individual, understand their circumstances and so on and you still need to do that but to try and do that in a way which is efficient and keep your keep your rates competitive. Um, but really overall there's there's, there's opportunity for, for lenders of all types in, in this situation. It's just a it's a complex situation. It's one where being absolutely informed of current tech, current working methods and so on is essential, but for people who who do that and can consider risk appropriately, there's very substantial opportunity at this time, but most particularly in the the specialist and subprime areas.
0: Economic shocks and the downturns they yield also create opportunity, and COVID-19 is no different. And unlike in the great financial crisis, the federal government has provided a significant amount of fiscal relief to help consumers meet their loan obligations. Banks and specialist lenders and their investors need to embrace strategies that make the most of their capabilities, while directly addressing the needs and evolving behaviors of their target customers. To download the detailed executive insights from this conversation, locate the link in the show notes or visit lek.com. Thank you, our listeners, for joining us today at the Insight Exchange, presented by L.E.K. Consulting. Links to resources mentioned in this podcast can be found in the show notes. Please subscribe or follow for future episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, we encourage you to submit your suggestions for future insights online at lek.com.